<coughs> so really tonight I haven't um, got a lot of new things to add to what we've been doing, but I, I really want to encourage each, each of you, each of us, with this practice, because it's, it is um, probably new for many of you, uh, this kind of practice. And it's also at the stage of the retreats where deep other layers of undigested, unworked out material, sankara, can come up. And it's kind of almost easy to have the feeling of, well, we'll just hang there until, it's <laughs> until we can slide out at the end. <laughs> you know, the way the mind strategize, you know, makes strategies. So, um, so it's, it's a, a very interesting juncture that we're at. And, and particularly with a practice that might not sit very easily or brings up um, maybe doubt or confusion or res- uh, re- resistance, I would imagine. Um, that it's that it's that it has its own particular challenge. And there's something about the, the there is a mysterious nature of the Kuan Yin Dharma doors. I don't fully understand it. I can't can talk to it as cognitively as rationally as um, one possibly can. But at the at the end of the day, I really don't know quite what's going on. <laughs> But I, I'm deepening in a sense of, of trust and, and have the feeling of something very ancient and very powerful that one's tapping into. Um, and really, at the end of the day, the only way that we can explore it is through the practice of it. Um, so I really w- would like to encourage that one just, you know, just keep practicing and seeing what happens for your experience. Um, when we we taught a few years ago, when we first introduced a little bit of some of the, these dharma, there's many different aspects of this dharma door. We're actually in this retreat, we're touching on a few pieces of it, but there's actually quite there's quite a there's, there's quite a, a lot many other aspects of many other practices that go with this dharma door. Um, and Kitty Sara and I have. Um, practice some of that at the City of Ten Thousand Buddhas, where, I mean, in fact, this this kind of schedule is very easygoing in, compared to what what they do there, where one starts at three in the morning and <laughs> goes till ten at night, and all one is doing all day is holding the name and doing pretty rigorous cer- ceremonies, and it's really really, you know, as um, Master Wa would call it, a bitter a bitter practice that eventually delivers a sweetness and uh, basically just a total slog and I remember at the end of one of these recitation sessions where even just to get to the meal was a, an hour of ceremony before you, you could eat the one meal a day and um, you know one's transferring um, merit blessings from the practices and going to all the different shrines and bowing and reciting with 400 odd people, it's very powerful, it accumulates a lot of energy. But basically it was very difficult, but I, I remember at the right at the end something finally cracked and I felt like I've, I, I tasted a sweetness 
a real sweetness and a real ancient depth and mystery with this Dhammador of Avalokiteshvara. It's, it carries something very ancient and, and profound and, and, as I said, mysterious, but it's also very challenging. And I remember when we were teaching at Spirit Rock with um, another Dhamma teacher, Eugene Cash, who's coming here actually in a couple of weeks' time. Um, and, uh, you know, it's pretty, the Spirit Rock style of teaching is pretty, you know, Vipassana, Samatha Vipassana has a, a sort of fairly formulaic in a certain way, and there wasn't much access, if any, I don't think, to this kind of a domador. And so Eugene sort of said, well, we'll do a little bit of it. I said, okay, we'll do a little bit of bowing, maybe a bit of chanting and stuff like that. And, uh, and uh, you know, so he, he kind of said, okay, we're going to do Kuan Yin practice. And then the night the retreat started, um, Eugene was late. You know, we were all sort of waiting. And these are big retreats, so it's it's a little intimidating to sort of think, where's the lead teacher gone? Because he was like the the spirit rock teacher, and he was, you know, we were were sort of wanting to be guided by how to do this. And we're sitting there, and it's like, I don't know, nearly 100 people on this retreat thinking, God, where's Eugene? And he finally comes scurrying in, and we get through the evening, and then afterwards he said, God, I had the most, the, the most hellish night I've ever had. <laughs> he said, is this something to do with the Kuan Yin practice? He said, I most, I've ha- I, he was having building alterations happening in his home, and he had this most horrendous argument with his builder. And his builder screaming at him and swearing at him, and, and he said, I think, I think this must be something to do with the Kuan Yin practice. We said, yeah, yeah, it might be, it might be that it, it's just bringing up all your negativity, all the negativity. Uh, but there was, I mean, we were joking about it, but there was something of truth in that, that, uh, that there's something very powerful that, that happens in this practice where it, it seems to, as I was saying earlier, it seems to really stir um, and bring, bring sort of layers up, levels of... of material up for us to contemplate. It might also bring up lots of joy and peace and love, which is, you know, the heart territory itself. And it's lovely when that happens and we can feel the ease of the natural heart, um, the undivided heart. But if it's not, and we, you know, I'd really encourage, there's not, it's very hard to find opportunities to really as you know, Chogram Trumpa says, to be realistic. This practice is about being realistic, to actually be real and touch and be in touch with ourselves and, and particularly in touch with what we might call our shadow material or our undigested material or our dukkha. And to really meet it and to have skillful means to meet it with because we so often just run from that and distract ourselves. Um, and so having having, you know, done the work that we've done to accumulate the kind of holding space, I really encourage all of us and encourage myself in this talk as well to to really be patient again and be with and and, and use the practice as we in in use the name or whatever name we're calling or use the mantra if we're using a mantra or using the English translation of words that work for us. I return to the compassionate heart, I return to the listening heart, to infuse that intention of the kind, compassionate heart with the material that might be arising, with the doubt, with the skepticism, with the resistance, with the aching body, with the 
you know, uh, painful memories that might come up. Um, and to, you know, as Ajahn Chah said, read the book of our heart. This is the opportunity for us to read this heart, not what someone says in a book from the shelf and, you know, get, get their ideas on our heart, but to, to read, you know, what's happening in our heart and, and to, to keep this, you know, this difficult practice of just keep listening to it. <laughs> keep listening and then listening deeper and listening deeper until we get to be able to listen into the heart that's actually really, really present and really unshaking, although everything else is shaking, is able to really just, you know, be, be present with, listening with, uh, empty with the, the fullness of the stuff. One of the, um, you know, this is really the bodhisattva practice. This is the 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 heart that you know is is not. We don't, you know, in the Zen they say we're not really sitting to get enlightened. We sit to express our enlightened nature. You know, we're in a way it's all there is already. The, the heart's already awakened. We're not going to get it. We're not going to find it. We have to be it. We have to tap into it. We have to recognize it and allow it to infuse and illuminate and work with and digest. And at first we start with our stuff, you know, and then we realize as the distinctions dissolve and we become more open um, and unboundaried, we realize that actually and as we become more empty ourselves, we, we, we're more a vehicle for the Dhamma to heal, to be, you know, to allow healing to happen beyond our boundary, our self-boundary. So this Bodhisattva heart uh, you know, is also concerned with, you know, how to hold that space of listening for others, for other beings, for all beings, ultimately. Of how to hold that where there are particularly where there there are splits, where there's so much of human life, there's so many splits and distinctions amongst us all. Whether ethnically, tribally, racially, in families, communities, amongst friends, in our workplace. So how to to practice, because it is a practice, you know, the Kuan Yin Dharma door is a faith door in a way, but ultimately it's a practice door, you know, how to hold that, that, that awareness. Mm. So that every, even the monsters, even the demons, even the most terrible things that human beings can do to each other and do do to each other can be seen as part of the the one dimension, the one face. It's not ultimately different from us. It's all happening within this one heart. How can we listen to that too? So, so this, I feel, is the, the challenge in the practice. And as, um, again, drawing from Ajahn Chah, he, he would say, well, you know, it's not about thinking now I'm doing this practice, I'm becoming a great bodhisattva. It's not about thinking I'm becoming a big Buddha. It's not about thinking I'm becoming Kuan Yin or Evlikiteshvara. He would say, you know, don't, don't become a Buddha. Don't become a bodhisattva. Just be an earthworm if you're going to be anything. You know, just, 
And, uh, you know, I feel this is a very, very good analogy for the path of the Bodhisattva because it's not about becoming more and more grandiose and inflated, but it's actually, in a way, it's not about moving up and out of the stuff, but it's actually being patient enough to sort of burrow down into the mud <laughs> and down through the layers, you know, the, the endless layers of stuff. You know, pain of karma, of difficulty, of painful sensation, and to you know, to 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 keep burrowing and to keep listening again and again to the places where we close the heart. Yes, I can be open, but that person, poof, you know, or this situation, when we judge and we close and we make another split. So the. You know, the, the heart that's compassionate is the heart when we judge we're not we really move up into our head and we think about we make someone an object and then we or we make ourselves an object that we then judge as good as bad as and you know there's lots of reasons why we can judge and we can judge and discern quite accurately and maybe that's important that we do that but this practice we're not pushing things out as an object and judging them, we're empathizing, we're feeling with, and we're holding a larger subjectivity. Everything is happening, coming back to this one awareness, this one heart. Mm. So there's no, there's no Mugabe that's outside of this one heart. There's no Israel and Palestinian division outside of this one heart. There's no Protestant and Catholic, or black or white, or it's all all these splits, all these divisions within our families and communities, within our nations. When we think about people, when we make them objects, they're outside. When we feel with and hold them in this listening heart, then then it's a different relationship. The splits aren't there, and it's very demanding because we're going. Can't possibly listen into this. I want to judge it so I can hold it there, push it there. You know, if I'm listening deeper, saying, "Well, I'm listening to suffering." What does that really mean? What does that really imply? So it's it's incredibly challenging. It's incredibly difficult to do. So in a way, this, this practice of calling the name is a way that really helps, gives us strength. Because you know, in a way, it's, it's, if we think of it, I've got to do this practice again, which just becomes very difficult. I, I can't be with suffering. All the strategies of the I are to get away from suffering, or to deny it, to push it away, to distract myself, to judge it, uh, to repress it. That's, that's, that's me, that's the I, doing all of that. You know, and I've gotten very good at it. <laughs> and, and, you know, as, as, as Ajahn Chah would say, really, practice begins when we can't do that anymore. You know, real practice begins when our strategies fail, when we're in the corner and we can't, we can't deny the experience of suffering when it comes. We have to meet it. You know, we can't, you know go up into our head and just think about it anymore. We have to actually begin to feel it and then deal with it. 
And so in this, this Kuan Yin practice, and it, you know, at first it can seem really like, oh, this is kind of silly, but as we get more into it, or the, the holding of the name, the holding of the mantra, the calling on these, these archetypal energies of, of compassion, of listening, the power of that, as we start to really get a sense for that, it becomes like a, um, a support, it becomes like an ally, it becomes like an, an ex- something, something of extra power that we can bring into and to remind us. You know, one can just hold steady, one can, you know, in the face of return it all back into the, the lap of Kuan Yin, into the lap of Avalokiteshvara, into the, into the heart of the awakened one, to, to offer it all back into that which is listening, which does have the compassion, which can hold it, which can be within it and can encourage us in our human heart to stretch a little bit more and to be just a bit more steady and to listen a bit more deeply. So we have this opportunity on this, on this few days of this practice to explore it really to do it, it's very simple, to, to explore it, to see where it can take us, to bring it, you know, to help it steady our minds, but also to mix it, to hold the name. As I was saying this morning, the calling of the name, and then in a way it's the heart that calls and it's the heart that listens, it's the one mind, ultimately. You know, calling, inv- invoking that compassion, and then listening to where we can find compassion with the stuff of the karmic unfolding of this world, the big world and our world, and the experience that we have moment by moment. And I think as we as we deepen, deepen into this practice and, and feel our way with it, then, then we do get to be inducted or opened into, into the stunning mystery that not only this universe is, that, but on some level that we are, ultimately. We think we know about ourselves and we kind of know a lot about ourselves, but in the heart, the heart's very mysterious. So I'd like to finish tonight with a, a poem that speaks to, to this mystery. It's one of my favorite poets and poems from Rilke. You, darkness that I come from, I love you more than all the fires that fence in the world. For the fire makes a circle of light for everyone and then no one outside learns of you. But the darkness pulls in everything, shapes and fires, animals and myself. How easily it gathers them, powers and people. And it is possible a great presence is moving near me. I have faith in nights. 
and I live my life in growing rings which move out over the things around me. Perhaps I'll never complete the last, but that's what I mean to try. I'm circling around God, around that ancient tower, and I've been circling thousands of years, and I still don't know. Am I a falcon, a storm, or a great song? But try to be patient with all that is unsolved in your heart, and try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books that are written in a foreign language. Do not seek answers which you cannot be given, because you are not ready to live them. The point is, live everything. Live the questions now. And it is possible a great presence is moving near me. I have faith in nights. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.